0: Hello Set-Apart Saints, this is David Nakao Wilcoxon. This audio is from the Olivet Discourse Decoded video series. The videos were low-tech, mostly me just reading what's on the screen. So you're not missing much in the audio version. The Olivet Discourse Decoded PDFs that I refer to in the lessons can be found at www.theolivetdiscourse.com. Enjoy the lesson. Hello Set-Apart Saints, this is David. And in the previous videos, we've seen the fulfillment of Messiah's words about a time of great tribulation, such as was not from the beginning of the world till now, no, nor may be. It wasn't pointing to the number of people killed, but to the sheer terror of the circumstances. As 1.1 million Jews died in and around the small city of Jerusalem from famine, pestilence, infighting, suicide, evisceration, crucifixion, and by the Roman sword. The unique peculiarity of this event was that half of the deaths were at the hands of Jews against other Jews, which is unprecedented in a time of war. The Jewish rebel factions stole food from fellow Jews, tortured them, and killed them. And with no place to bury bodies, they were either stacked up around the city or thrown into the valleys surrounding the city. Trees and crosses around the city were filled with the bodies of crucified Jews who ventured outside the city to try to find food. And when the Romans invaded the city in 70 AD, they killed hundreds of thousands of Jews by the sword. So the bodies covered the ground, and blood ran everywhere, including in the temple and down the steps. This fulfilled Messiah's dire prophecy. It was the worst time of terror that any people group have faced. Messiah's Olivet Discourse is about the judgment of the Jewish leaders and the desolation of the temple, which he proclaimed would happen in that generation of wicked Jews, who he had just rebuked. And this leads us to the desolation of the temple, which Messiah foretold. Titus ordered the temple and the whole city to be razed to the ground, leaving only the tallest towers of Roman Antonia Fortress and a small portion of the wall on the west george peter holford in the book the destruction of jerusalem in 1805 says after this he titus commanded that the city should be raised to its foundations excepting only the three lofty towers which he suffered to remain as evidence of its strength and as trophies of his victory there was left standing also a small part of the western wall as a rampart for a garrison to keep the surrounding country in subjection In executing the command of titus relative to the demolition of jerusalem the roman soldiers not only threw down the buildings but even dug up their foundations and so completely leveled the whole circuit of the city that a stranger would scarcely have known it had ever been inhabited by human beings thus was this great city which only five months before had been crowded with nearly two million of people who gloried in its impregnable strength entirely depopulated and leveled with the ground And thus also was our Lord's prediction that her enemies should lay her even with the ground, and should not leave in her one stone upon another, most strikingly and fully accomplished. This fact is confirmed by Eusebius, who asserts that he himself saw the city lying in ruins, and Josephus introduces Eleazar as exclaiming, Where is our great city? Which, it was believed, God inhabited. It is altogether rooted and torn up from its foundations, and the only monument of it remains is the camp of its destroyers, pits amidst its relics. Concerning the temple, our Lord had foretold, particularly, that notwithstanding their wonderful dimensions, there should not be left one stone upon another that should not be thrown down. And accordingly, it is recorded in the Talmud and by the Mammonites, that Tarentus Rufus, captain of the army of Titus, absolutely plowed up the foundations of the temple with a plowshare now also was literally fulfilled that prophecy of micah therefore shall zion for your sake be plowed as a field and jerusalem shall become heaps and the mountain of the lord's house is the high places of the forest in luke 1944 messiah says and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of my visitation. Josephus recorded, The holy city, covenantal Jerusalem, was besieged, demolished, and burned. The divine sacrifice failed. The holy temple dismounted stone for stone, just like Messiah said. And the city dug up to its foundations, and salted so nothing would grow. The war left the army defeated, the entire population decimated and the land uninhabited. The Roman soldiers were so enraged at the wicked Jews that they tore the temple down stone by stone to capture all of the gold which had melted from the fire and pulled below them. They left the Mount of Roman Antonia Fortress as a sign of their power and authority. Josephus recorded that the temple was destroyed within 40 years after Messiah's Olivet Discourse. 40 years is considered to be a generation, so it took place in the generation of the Jewish leaders who delivered him up to be killed. Dr. Thomas Newton, in Dissertations on the Prophecies from 1754 says, It was never the custom of the Romans absolutely to ruin any of their provinces. It was improbable, therefore, that such a thing should happen at all, and still more improbable that it should happen under the humane and generous Titus, who was indeed as he was called, the love and delight of mankind. So we see a lot of news about the Jews praying at the Wailing Wall, and that the Jews need to remove the Dome of the Rock shrine on the Temple Mount to rebuild their temple. But that is a deception, because the Wailing Wall is not part of the foundation wall for the old temple. It is the wall of the old Roman Antonia Fortress, as we just saw by the witnesses, which the Roman army left as a monument to their power as it is all that remained after they desolated the rest of the city in 70 AD. So it's ironic that the Jews pray to a wall that represents their desolation, and they're deceiving people because some people know the truth. Some of the Jews know the truth. They know it's not the Temple Mount, but they're not telling you that because they want you to feel sorry for them because they want you to grieve for them. But their desolation was determined from heaven. So the temple was indeed destroyed with not one stone left, standing on another just as our messiah said and history proves that it happened within a generation of messiah declaring it the context of his warning is not about the end times or the antichrist daniel 9:12 points to the tribulation that came upon the house of judah when the armies of babylon were sent against it daniel says and he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. So he's pointing to the destruction of the temple and the city by the Babylonians, who killed many Jews and took the rest captive. But now we see a much worse fate when the Romans were sent against it. Many more Jews died, many at the hands of other Jews. Jerusalem and the second temple were destroyed, and the Jewish leaders were either killed or taken captive as slaves. This was effectively the end of the Jewish nation, as there was no capital city, no temple, and no Jewish leadership system. Josephus documented the time of great tribulation for the Jews. Now, this vast multitude was indeed collected out of remote places, but the entire nation was now shut up by fate as in prison and the Roman army encompassed the city when it was crowded with inhabitants. Accordingly, the multitude of those that perished therein exceeded all the destructions that either men or God ever brought upon the world. Again, it's not about the number of people who died. Messiah is pointing to a concentrated scene of horror, thus ended in the greatest of all the calamities of the sort, the Jewish people's national existence. Titus reportedly refused to accept a wreath of victory saying that it didn't come through his efforts, but that he merely served as an instrument of divine wrath. Josephus made this declaration about the war against the Jews. For as to the seditions they have been in, and the famine they are under, and the seeds they now endure, and the fall of their walls without our engines, what can they all be but demonstrations of God's anger against them, and of his assistance afforded us? Because of the Jews' many abominations against Messiah, he made them desolate. Josephus was with Titus during the siege of Jerusalem, in which the atrocities and miseries reached a limit impossible to be exceeded on earth. Of this period of great tribulation, Josephus says, It had come to pass that our city Jerusalem had arrived at a higher degree of felicity than any other city under the Roman government, and yet at last fell into the source of calamities again. Accordingly, it appears to me that the misfortunes of all men from the beginning of the world if they be compared to those of the jews are not so considerable as they were again the suffering of the jews had this peculiar characteristic namely that they were mostly inflicted upon themselves by the warring factions within the city concerning whom josephus says in another place it is impossible to go distinctly over every instance of these men's iniquity i shall therefore speak my mind here at once briefly that neither did any other city ever suffer such miseries nor did any age ever breed a generation more fruitful in wickedness than this was from the beginning of the world to narrate their enormities in detail is impossible but to put it briefly no other city ever endured such miseries nor since the world began has there been a generation more prolific in crime messiah warned about the bloodshed that would come on this generation of wicked jewish leaders Says, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles by the Romans until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This was fulfilled when the Roman army flooded into Jerusalem and killed hundreds of thousands of Jews by the sword, and those who were captured were sold into slavery. The destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans is a complete fulfillment of the prophecy. The evidence is clear. The time of great tribulation that Messiah is pointing to in his Olivet discourse was about the Jewish nation's desolation in 70 AD. And this is not just my interpretation, but rather the belief of the saints before the 20th century, before the enemy's false futuristic explanations took hold. Alfred Edersheim, in Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah from 1883 says, This, together with tribulation to Israel, unparalleled in the terrible past of its history, and unequaled even in its bloody future, was about to befall them, Nay, so dreadful would be the persecution that if divine mercy had not interposed for the sake of the followers of Christ, the whole Jewish race that inhabited the land would have been swept away. There should have been no flesh saved. Charles Spurgeon says, The Jews impiously said concerning the death of Christ, His blood be on us and on our children. Never did any people invoke such an awful curse upon themselves, and upon no other nation did such a judgment ever fall. We read of Jews crucified till there was no more wood for making crosses. Albert Barnes Notes on the Bible from 1832 says, This was most strikingly fulfilled. Josephus, in describing it, uses almost the very words of our Savior. All of the calamities, says he, which have befallen any nation from the beginning of the world, were but small in comparison with those of the Jews. Koch's Commentary on the Holy Bible from 1803 says, in the preceding verses our savior warned his disciples to flee as soon as ever they saw jerusalem besieged by the romans and now he assigns a reason for his giving them this caution for indeed all history cannot furnish us with a parallel to the calamities and miseries of the jews repine and murder famine and pestilence within fire and sword and all the terrors of war without our savior wept at the foresight of these calamities and it is almost impossible for persons of any humanity to read the relation of them without weeping to them. john gill's exposition of the entire bible from 1809 says the burning of sodom and gomorrah the bondage of the children of israel in egypt their captivity in babylon and all of their distresses and afflictions in the time of the maccabees are nothing to be compared with the calamities which befell the jews in the siege and destruction of jerusalem great desolations have been made in the besieging and at the taking of many famous cities, as Troy, Babylon, Carthage, etc., but none of them are to be mentioned with the deplorable case of this city. Whoever reads Josephus's account will be fully convinced of this, and readily join with him, who is an eyewitness of it, when he says that never did any city suffer such things, nor was there ever any generation that more abounded in malice and wickedness. Matthew Poole's Commentary on the Holy Bible from 1683 says, These verses must be understood with reference to the Jewish nation, and whosoever shall read in Josephus the history of the wars of the Jews will easily agree there is nothing in all the foregoing Jewish history which we have recorded in Scripture like unto it. The final destruction of them by Josephus was rather an abatement of miseries they suffered by the factions within themselves than anything else. Bishop William Newcomb in the Harmony of the Gospels from 1778 says, The calamities undergone by the Jews were unparalleled in their history and will remain so. The many and great evils arising from their own distractions and intestine madness were peculiar to this time. And Josephus asserts in general that no other city underwent such suffering. In particular, he says that the number of captives throughout the whole war was 97,000, and that 1,100,000 perished in the course of the siege. To these must be added 237,490, of whom express mention is due by this historian as being destroyed in other places, besides innumerable others, not subject to calculation, who were swept away by fatigue, famine, disease, and every kind of wretchedness and violence. Thus did the awakened vengeance of heaven require of that generation the blood of all the prophets, which had been shed from the foundation of the world. Lutheran theologian Philip Shaw from 1893 says, The forbearance of God with his covenant people, who had crucified their own Savior, reached at last its limit. As many as could be saved in the usual way were rescued. The mass of the people had obstinately set themselves against all improvement. James the just, the man who was fitted, if any could be, to reconcile the Jews to the Christian religion, had been stoned by his hardened brethren, for whom he daily interceded in the temple, and with them, the Christian community in Jerusalem had lost its importance for that city. The hour of great tribulation and fearful judgment drew near. The prophecy of the Lord approached its literal fulfillment. Jerusalem was raised to the ground, the temple burned, and not one stone left upon another. Philip Morrow, in the 70 weeks in the Great Tribulation from 1923, says that these calamities of the Jews, who were our Savior's murderers, were to be the greatest that had ever been since the beginning of the world our Savior had directly foretold in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, and that they proved to be such accordingly. Josephus is here a most authentic witness. Dr. Thomas Newton, in Dissertations on the Prophecies from 1754, says, Our Savior wept at the foresight of these calamities, and it is almost impossible for persons of any humanity to read the relation of them in Josephus without weeping too. This is always objected as the most capital sin of the nation, and upon reflection we shall find, really, some correspondence between their crime and their punishment. They put Jesus to death when the nation was assembled to celebrate Passover. When the nation was assembled, too, to celebrate the Passover, Titus shut them up within the walls of Jerusalem. The rejection of the true Messiah was their crime, and the following of false messiahs to their destruction was their punishment. They sold and bought Jesus as a slave, and they themselves were afterwards sold and bought as slaves at the lowest prices. They preferred a robber and murderer to Jesus, whom they crucified between two thieves. And they themselves were afterwards infested with bands of thieves and robbers. They put Jesus to death, lest the Romans should come and take away their place and nation. And the Romans did come and take away their place and nation. They crucified Jesus before the walls of Jerusalem. And before the walls of Jerusalem, they themselves were crucified in such numbers that it is said, room was wanting for the crosses and crosses for the bodies. I should think it hardly possible for any man to lay these things together and not conclude the Jews own imprecation to be remarkably fulfilled upon them for matthew twenty seven twenty five says his blood be on us and our children this time of great tribulation for the unbelieving jewish nation seems harsh but the jewish leaders had been in rebellion against the father for many years as punishment for their sins they were taken to babylon and jerusalem and the temple were destroyed After they were released from Babylon, the pagan Babylonian teaching stayed in them, and they continued in their rebellion against the Father. Daniel 9.27 points to the Jewish leaders' overspreading of abominations. And the Jewish leaders rejected their promised Messiah, and they delivered him up to be killed, to protect their positions of power, which is the gravest transgression that they could commit. They continued to make temple animal sacrifices, which were an abomination after Messiah's one-time sacrifice for transgressions. They fulfilled Messiah's words by persecuting his followers, and they were judged for their abominations. The true context of the Olivet Discourse is Messiah's declarations in Matthew 23 when he rebuked the Jewish leaders. He said that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel until the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. But when you grasp the extent of the horror of what took place during the Jewish-Roman war, you see the enormity of the monstrosities that took place as Jews caused other Jews to die from famine and pestilence, infighting, suicide, crucifixion, and by the Roman sword. Then you understand the gruesome reality of what took place during the time of Jacob's trouble. During the days of vengeance against the wicked Jews who continued in their rebellion against the Father. In the next video, I'll pick up the verse by verse explanation and cover verses 23 to 26. Thank you for listening to this Olivet Discourse Decoded audio. You can save and print Olivet Discourse Decoded PDF summaries. You can request a free copy of the Olivet Discourse Decoded book or order a printed copy at www.the olivetdiscourse.com. Please share this podcast audio with others so that they can see the glory of Messiah in the fulfillment. I love y'all. Shalom.